So I remember a, a few years ago reading about a small town in New England that during a specific time of the summer, everybody in that small town would lock their car doors. And it, and it wasn't because they were afraid someone was going to take something out of the car. They were fearful of people putting something in the car. It wasn't a wave of crime. It was a wave of generosity. Because at that time of the summer, the crop of zucchinis would be so great. <laughs> I kid you not. That if you went to the hardware store and went in for about 10 minutes and left your car unlocked, when you came back, you would find your car packed full of zucchinis. <laughs> People were giving wealth out of their zucchini crop, more than you could ever, ever use or want. So now I have a, have an, a, a thought for you. Imagine a world where it was more than zucchinis. Imagine it was wherever or whatever you needed. Imagine that if you needed groceries, they'd be there, or a car, or a bed, or a pair of sneakers, or an airline ticket, or three days at the Jersey Shore, a caramel macchiato, medical care, clean water. And it wasn't dictated by a socialist regime but it was part of the DNA of the community in which you lived. Because quite frankly, if we belong to the community of followers in Jesus, of Jesus, that is our DNA. Paul the Apostle writing to his protege Timothy, who had been sent to Ephesus to teach them there about the DNA that Jesus put in them when they put their faith in Jesus, Paul writes this to Timothy. 1 Timothy 6, 17. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. They should be rich in good works and generous. The wording there simply means this, that they should be rich, they should be wealthy, they should be piled up with these good things that they are doing that comes from a source of generosity, which simply means to give out of what you've already received by the goodness of God. Whatever he has given you, you are sharing it generously. And you say, but wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. There, there's a qualifier there. It says this. It says, tell those who are rich. And you say, but, but I'm not rich. Who is rich? Well, I know them, and, 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 and they make a whole lot more money, so when I get to that point, I'll be rich. I, I know her, and, and I know what she makes per hour, and so I know that if I reach that point, I'll be rich. I, I, I know that guy over there, he won the lottery, and, and now he's rich. Do you know that if you make annually, after taxes, $34,000 or more, you are in the top 1% of the wealthy in the world. The global median income is just $1,225 a year. And the poorest 5% of Americans earn on an average the same as the richest 5% in India. 
But if you ask most of us, we'd they say, are you rich? You go, I'm not rich. If, if I could just make this, I'd be rich. Because in America, to be in the top 1%, you have to make at least $500,000 or more. So let those people be generous. The truth is this, that the more we make, the less we give away. So Jesus said to the 12, his boys, he said, come with me. I'm going to teach you something. So he walks them to the temple. And in the temple, they sit down as they're collecting contributions to help with the temple and help with the poor. And they watch as the wealthy come in and they they deposit their funds and there's this wonderful fanfare headlines of who's giving what and it's just an amazing moment and then this little widow that nobody actually really recognizes or really sees walks by and she puts in two small coins and Jesus responds by saying this I tell you the truth this poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions for they gave a tiny part of their surplus a tiny percentage of their surplus but she poor as she is has given everything she had to live on you see god doesn't look at the amount he looks at the percentage so it's an amazing thing that that the more we have the more we think we need the more we have the more we hold on to Because we think that they have more, and so I need to arrive to that spot to really have what I need. And it it, it works in all of us. So last week, I gave away a suitcase. Pam and I have used that suitcase one or two times in the last three years. We have other suitcases, and so I'll just confess to you, I love suitcases. I just, I just, I have really nice suitcases. Don't ask me why, but if we go into Macy's, we go upstairs to the second floor, Pam heads for the pajamas, and I go check out the suitcases. I'm looking for really good deals for suitcases. I love suitcases. Don't judge me. But I like suitcases. So then I'll, I'll walk over to Pam, who's in the pajama section, and I'll say, Pam, I found a suitcase. And she'll say, do you really need another suitcase? And I'll say to her, do you really need another set of pajamas? And she'll say, do you really need another kiss? You can have the pajamas. I really don't need another suitcase. So when I'm giving this suitcase away, I'm actually thinking I have all these others, but but what if, what if, what if I really need that one? Several weeks ago, Pam said, hey, look, we've got this coffee-making system, and, and we really don't need that, and it's really it's still a good system, and i got all these supplies. Let's give this, and she said to somebody, and I said, well, that's a great idea. And so she's packing it up, and I'm looking at all the stuff she's putting with it, and I'm thinking, but what if I need that? And you know what's bad is I don't even drink coffee. <laughs> Several years ago, our son... Dustin was in college, and he was out in the city square of Springfield, Missouri, and there was a homeless guy sitting there, so Dustin sat down with him and started asking him a story. When he got done talking to him, Dustin said, hey, come with me, and so Dustin put him in his car, and they drove to Dustin's apartment on campus, and Dustin took him in and opened up his closet and said, take anything you want. 
Whatever you need, you take it. No restrictions. So the guy just started pulling out stuff. A lot of stuff. And when Dustin's telling me this, you know what my, my gut reaction was at first? What are you, crazy? What are you doing? Yet Jesus is saying, that's exactly what I want you to do. It's exactly what I called you to be. That's how I want you to be. It seems that the richer we become, the less percentage we give. But what was it that made Christianity so distinctive in the first century? Yeah, miracles impacted people, but it wasn't the miracles. And their theology was, was really, re, really amazing, but it wasn't their theology. What made it totally radically different was the new brand of generosity that this community was known for. For Jesus himself then declared it this way, and this is what they were following. Luke records it this way. If you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Because even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? And even sinners will lend to other sinners for a full return. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great. And you'll be truly be acting as children of the Most High. For he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. And you, 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 followers of Jesus, you. How many are followers of Jesus? You must be compassionate. Just as who? Your father is compassionate. What Jesus is describing is a revolutionary community that changes the culture. It's no big deal. It's no big deal for, for me to, to go give something to Bob because I know if, if I need something, Bob's going to give it back to me. So I, I can do that. I, I, it's a done deal. I'll loan to him. He'll loan to me. Anybody can do that. But what about the person who cannot or will not repay? Jesus said, I need you to do that. Because anybody, Jesus says, can manipulate the system to get out of it what they put in. The Greeks called that liberalitas. It's simply, or the Latins called it liberalitas, which simply just means this, giving to please the recipient with the hope that the recipient would return the favor. Anybody can do that. And Jesus said, but if you do, what sort of credit do you get? And that word credit actually breaks down to the wording that says, what of or which one. It just simply means this. If you do the same thing that everybody else is doing, then you don't stand apart. You're no different. And Jesus is different. And you're not acting like Jesus. So, you're, so what credit? You, you get no credit. What Jesus wants us to be marked by is caritas. It means charity. It means giving to relieve physical or financial distress without expecting anything in return. Because this is the DNA that's inside of us as followers of Jesus. It's there. And Jesus is saying, and Paul is, is reemphasizing it, activate it. Trust him. Do good to those who can't or won't be good in return. Because that's how God has treated you. 
It's in our DNA. So I think it was about a year ago, Pam came home and said, I just had the weirdest thing happen. I said, what's up? And she said, well, I had pulled into a, a fast food restaurant to, to, to a drive-through to, to get a sandwich and something to drink. And I was pulling out and I looked over and there's this, this mother with, a, with her child and they're standing in the pouring down rain. And so I pulled up and I, I asked them it, where they're going. And they said, we're heading home. She said, well, can I take you home? Now, she doesn't even know who they are. And they said, oh, yeah, and they argue, and finally they get in the car because it's just pouring. And Pam says, where, where do you live? And Pam just takes them down to where they live. And as they're going, Pam looks over, and, and she says to the, the son, are you hungry? And he says, yeah. So Pam gives her food. Which is amazing to me because she doesn't know who they are. And why would she do that? Because it's in her DNA. As followers of Jesus, it's in yours. You've got to recognize that it's there. And when the spontaneous moment comes, you go, well, wait, wait, I can do this. And, and, and sometimes it's sacrificial, and sometimes it's just, you've got enough. Why don't you do it? So I'm, I'm telling you this, and then Pam and I are sitting at a, at a, a stoplight the other day, and, and we're like three cars over, and there's a guy standing there with a cardboard sign that says, I'm a Christian, and I'm a veteran, and, and some things have happened, and I've lost money, and I need help. And, and I look over, and there's a lady right next to us, and I see her rummaging through her purse, and I'm thinking, I said to Pam, she's going to give him something, because in my mind, I'm thinking he's too far away. And this lady's looking, and then she looks through her change thing in the console. She has nothing. And as we drive off, I watch the guy with a cardboard sign, look at it, and throw it down and walk away. And I thought, I just missed the spontaneity of the moment. But it's three cars over. I don't think it matters to him that he's three cars over because he needs help. The thing that makes the church the church, the thing that made it so individually different than any culture or any kind of other religion is its generosity. It's why Paul would, would write after talking about giving to people and things and, 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 and supporting ministries, he said, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift, which is Jesus. He said, let me show you how to give. I'll give you the very best that I have. That kind of DNA is incredibly powerful. I think that we all recognize at this moment in, in United States history that we are now a post-Christian nation. We do not have any political clout. And our history and our influence has now been marginalized. We do not sit in an inner circle. You say, then we don't have any power influence. Oh, we do. Absolutely we do. But it may not be in the House of Representatives or the Senate. But where it is has not changed since the first century. How did a Jesus-centered group without political power, without strong armies, without massive resources, topple the Roman Empire? In the first century, a pandemic swept through the Roman Empire. This plague wiped out 25 to 50 million people. One-third to one-half the population. And when a family was affected by this, this, this pandemic, the rest of the family would desert them and leave the city. So that in 
a time when 5,000 bodies a day were being removed from Rome. The Christians stayed with their families and began to try nursing them back to health. And then they recognized the fact that there were other families, pagan families, who had no one, and they took them in and began to nurse them back to health. The survival rate is attributed to that care. And as a result, the population of Christians coming from those who survived and from the pagan families who survived, who then saw the, 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 the giving and the compassion of these believers in Jesus, said, we want to put our faith in Jesus, and combined together, they tilted the population from pagan to Christian. Historian Rodney Stark writes, Christianity did not grow because of miracle working in the marketplaces, although there may have been much of that going on, or because Constantine said it should, or even because the martyrs gave it such credibility. It grew because Christians constituted an intense community able to generate the invincible obstinacy against paganism that so offended the younger plenty but yielded immense religious rewards. And the primary means of its growth was through the united and motivated efforts of the growing numbers of Christian believers who invited their friends, relatives, and neighbors to share the good news. And the emphasis there is share because they shared everything. They did life together. And it was revolutionary for the pagans to hear that there was a God who loved the people who loved him. Because in in, in their setting, there were so many gods who existed, and those gods existed only to taunt and to manipulate for their pleasure all humanity. And here is a God who says, I love you. And it was just a radical, radical understanding that was proving itself by the generosity of these people. That there was this God who cared that much to people that weren't even tied to their tribe or their family. They began to understand and it just blew their mind because this was such a radical thought that this God who would sacrifice also expected those who were going to please him to themselves sacrifice in the same manner. And it totally changed their view. The Roman Emperor Julian, who then tried to sway the nation back towards paganism, but it was a fail. He, he couldn't do it. And so in writing to some of his, his people, here's what he wrote. His, this was his analysis of why he failed. He said this, I think that when the poor happened to be neglected and overlooked by the priests, the impious Galileans observed this and devoted themselves to benevolence. The impious Galileans support not only their poor, but ours as well, and everyone can see that our people lack aid from us. And it shook the Roman Empire. So you want to change a family, you want to change a business, you want to change a community, you want to change a city, you want to change a culture, you want to change it? Give generously to those who can't or won't give back to you, because that's what God did for us. That's the difference. You say, how are we going to change this culture? It's changing so quickly. It's just, it's a mess. We do what they did in the first century. We generously give of ourselves. See, I don't know where you stand on this whole gay issue. But I'm going to tell you this. I don't care what your stance is, and I don't care, I don't care who you are in this place, that if you're in need and we have the resources, we will help you. Because that's what we're called to do. 
So I'm asking us as a, as a community of faith to turn up our efforts. Look, we are rich. And Paul said this, tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. So I'm going to give you some practical steps here that, that even help us to, to connect with people and care for people. So as you drive in to this complex, and you may, as you drive in, go to the right and park over there, you notice immediately some potholes. You know why we have potholes? Oh, yeah, we live in Erie. Yeah, there's two seasons in Erie, winter and road construction. That's it. Well, that's part of it, but you know what the real reason is? The real reason is that we have those potholes is because nine months out of the year, five days a week, buses roll over on that side of the parking lot. And you know why? Because we have, we have obligated ourselves to be generous in a way that, that we can offer to this community and to students to come here to an academy where they can learn that they don't have to serve a gloomy God or a penny-pinching God or a God whose only concern is to make life difficult and a salvation nearly impossible. What they discover here is they find a God of revolutionary generosity. Generosity has made it possible for over 1,100 students in the years that we've been open to come through here and learn that and, and over 500 preschool and kindergarten students to attend. It's wonderful. I want to show you some doors. These doors open up every week, and through those doors, over 300 adolescents and young adults enter in to form community at the Summit Building, a community that's centered on Jesus, making it a safe place to come with their messy lives and their addictions and their really tough questions to find healing and relief. Generosity makes that possible. We have on this church a gas well and HVAC units that make it really comfortable in here for you this morning because outside it's warm and muggy and, and if you walked in here and the AC was off, you'd demand that we do something about it, wouldn't you? Because you want to be comfortable. And we want people comfortable. But it's generosity that makes this possible. Do you know that on an average, we have over 115 meetings in this complex every month? 115. It could be small group, could be a larger group, but they've come together not only just to understand how to survive in this culture and in this world, but how to thrive. And that happens because of generosity. So I'm going to ask you to join with Pam and me because I'm going to tell you that, that, that there's some things that need to happen so that we can continue being this way and it's going to take generosity. So when you leave here this morning, you're going to find out on table, we printed our own money. Don't try to spend it. We do have a prison ministry. <laughs> Thanks to your generosity. And you're going to find different denominations printed back on that table. This just represents generosity. And so after the service, Pam and I are going to go out there, and we're going to look at, at those denominations. There, there are some that are combined together that make $500, and some make $250, and some make $150, and $20. And, and we're going to take some of this and say, God, we want to be generous with making it possible 
that it's going to be safe for those kids to come on buses in the fall. And we're going to make it possible that, that those adolescents and those young adults can actually get through the doors that are broken right now. And we've got HVAC units that have been up there for 30 to 35 years, and they're telling us we're really tired. We've had to sit through all these winters, and we're about done. And I want to make sure that we have comfortable places for all the meetings that will continue and even the greater increase of those meetings in the complex. And we have a gas well that's sputtering. And we want it running so that that it can provide heat when we hit the fall and winter starts September 1st. So I'm going to invite you to just join with us in the next five weeks to grab one of these and then sometime you come back in on a Sunday morning and whatever you've brought to, to say, I'm going to give to that. Just put down the word generosity. We know it's going to move to this moment, this moment of generosity so we can take care of people. That's why we're here. You say, okay, so now I get it. This, this, this sermon series you're doing has to do with getting you that, that money so you can take care of this. Not really. This is just the opportunity that's in front of us at the moment, but we've got a lot more things we need to do. In fact, this is only, we're shooting for 20000 just to get us started. But the reality of this series is this. This study is to help us live out what the first century church made very clear. Bishop N.T. Wright says it well when he says this. This God is different. If you lived in a society where everyone believed in this God, there wouldn't be any violence. There wouldn't be any revenge. There wouldn't be any divisions of class or caste property. Or caste. Property and possessions wouldn't be nearly as important as making sure your neighbor was all right. Imagine if a few people took Jesus seriously and lived like that. Life would be exuberant, different, astonishing, and people would stare. And of course, people did stare when Jesus did it himself. His whole life was one of exuberant generosity, giving all he'd got to give to everyone who needed it. Can you picture that? And it's happening, it's happening around here. I, I know of somebody this, this week that just needed, needed something. That they, were, they just needed to be able to pay for something. They didn't have the money, and somebody walked up, and, and through a conversation, they took care of the entire need, just said, here, let me help you. And I thought, that's it, that's it, that's it. Because we got, we got a lot more zucchinis than we need. I have a lot more suitcases than I need. You have a lot more of something than you need. Say, but I'm not wealthy. You are. We are. We know we are. And so I'm going to ask you to, to do something in response to this this week. Please don't come here and just say, that was really a nice sermon, or I hated that sermon, or whatever you're going to say. Don't come here and just walk out and go, okay, that's great, now I'm going to go live my life. Because when, when you've been confronted with God's word, you have no choice. You have to respond. You either say yes or no. And so if, the yes, if it's a yes, then I want you to do a couple things this week. So let's move out of here this morning with two goals for the week. First, the one that's spontaneous. Look for the opportunities where you can give away something. Because God will bring them to you. I do need a big screen TV, just letting you know. So, <laughs> I'm kidding. Look for opportunities to be generous. God will bring them. And, and then when they do... It may mean you don't get your caramel macchiato, you give it to somebody else. It may mean that, that you had saved up for something and you give it to somebody else who's in desperate need. Just, and don't ever, oh, please, 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 say to the person next to you, please, please don't do this. Don't ever walk up to somebody that you know is in need and say to them, if you need anything, let me know. Because they won't. Because if you're already asking it, you know. 
So you figure out what they need and you give it to them. And if someone gives you something because they think you need it and you realize you don't need it, then maybe God put it in your hand to give to somebody else. But can you imagine God's economy if this just keeps flowing around? Can you imagine what that means? So look for the spontaneous moment. But the spontaneous moment doesn't work unless you have a foundation of generosity. And so I'm going to ask you, if you're not already doing this, to go home this week and look at your budget. And if you don't have a budget, come see Pastor John when he does, in the fall probably, what's it called? Financial Peace University. Take your budget and write in a percentage to give away. Make it deliberate. I'm going to give away this, this amount. There are many in this place who started with what we believe is the beginning percentage, which is a tithe, 10%, which comes to the storehouse or the place of the gathering of worship so we can take care of, of the worship and, and the ministries and the, and the poor that we are connected to. And so Pam and I start with our 10%, and then we add other percentages to that. And it's part of our budget. It's deliberate. You can take our budget and look at it and see, there it is, there it is, there it is, every month. Because God said, you need to figure this out. And and quite frankly, if we don't plan it, we don't normally do it. So would you do that? If we're going to change the culture, if we're going to change the world, the first century church showed us how to do that by intense generosity in the name of Jesus. And you'll find that when you do that, you cannot outgive God. In fact, he said this to the Corinthians. He said, if you'll trust me and you give, I will pour more into you that's for every, every, every occasion where you need to be generous, you'll have enough. I can do that. And can you imagine the joy of just giving and giving and giving? That's what God has called us to do because we are wealthy. And that's what he intends for us to do with it. It's what Jesus would do. So especially compared to the world around us, we're rich. And we do have more zucchinis than we need. So God's going to open up doors of cars around you to pour that excess into. It's what Jesus would do. It's the DNA that he put in us. It's how we change the world. Would you stand? And if we become this community of faith that is that generous, I will do my best to let you out at uh, at 11.15 every Sunday instead of 11.30. See there? I'll help you out. Now, Father, we give you thanks. We thank you already for the generosity we've seen this morning through all of these who are participating in a royal family. And we ask that, that as they are generous, they will change cultures of neglected and abused children. It'll radically change them. And we pray this week as we look for those spontaneous moments and as we begin to to shape our own budgets to be generous and to give a better percentage that we'll find great joy coming from you as you see us becoming more like you. And I thank you that you promised that even for those who are here that you gave so much and you gave your only son that that those who don't have a relationship with you this morning, you promise that they confess their sins, you're faithful and just to forgive them and cleanse them from all impurity. So thank you as they're confessing to you they need their sins forgiving. In your generosity, you remove that right now. So we give you thanks. We seal, we seal this community, this radical community, in the way that you want it to be in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.
God bless you. Have a great, generous week.